Good morning, friends. Welcome to the Bible Project Daily Podcast. And this project is for you and I together to work through the whole Bible chapter by chapter, verse by verse. You join us as we're midway through the Gospel of Mark in season six of our journey together. And this time we'll be looking at one of a famous passage covering the verses 30 to 44 and using it to consider Jesus as the greatest teacher who'd ever lived. So I do hope you find it encouraging and helpful this morning. If you're here for the first time, then why not click on that subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts from, and that way you don't need to miss another single episode. That way you can join with this community of people around the world who've made the decision to make the study of the Bible part of the rhythm of their daily lives. So whether you're here for the first time or you've been a regular for many episodes now, it's great to have you here together. And we'll drop back into the text where we left off last time. But do make sure you hang around at the end where I'll update you on a few things and tell you ways in which you can connect and receive other free Bible teaching resources. Bye-bye for now. Christians do believe that Jesus, well as well as being the Messiah, the Son of God, he was also on a practical level the greatest teacher who ever lived. Part of his unique gift is that he had a way of saying things that would never be forgotten and that we're still repeating 2,000 years later. But of course it's not just the way he taught, it was what he actually taught. The greatest spiritual lessons humankind has ever known have come to us from the lips of Jesus Christ because they reflected the mind of his heavenly Father to us. He taught us to love God with all our hearts and with all our minds, and to love each other as ourselves. Now this was a radical idea in the first century world in which he lived, because he taught that anybody, any individual, could live a life trusting in God for their eternal life. There were a series of lessons he taught in what people today call the Sermon on the Mount, and those lessons, those spiritual lessons, are considered so important, so foundational, they've become the standard underpinning of all caring and compassionate societies ever since. To put it simply, Jesus taught us foundational spiritual truths. And what I'd like to do today is just pick out and look at three spiritual truths that he teaches in this passage. Now, they may not necessarily be the most well-known of the many great spiritual lessons he taught us, but I think they are hugely important concepts and concepts which we can learn a lot from and can help us live a wonderful and effective Christian life. By learning and applying these lessons in our life, I believe we will further know the blessings of God. So that in itself makes it worthwhile looking at them. Now, you may recall that prior to this passage, as we've been going through this narrative account of Mark, we've just seen Jesus send out his disciples. So they've been out on their first mission, so to speak. And the passage begins by telling us that they come back and tell Jesus what they've been up to. So the first verse we're looking at today tells us that then the apostles gathered to Jesus and told him all the things, both what they had done and what they had taught. Now notice in this verse they're called apostles. Prior to this they were always referred to as disciples. Now the word disciple, it means student, one who follows a teacher. But the word apostle means one who is sent. 
So in a sense, they've all sorted in today's terms what we call graduated. They're now out there doing in the world, applying what they have learned. So they've been commissioned and been sent out by Jesus. And after a period of time, they now come back together and they regather together again. And we can safely assume that this is a time of retelling the stories of some of the amazing things that they've experienced and thereby encouraging one another. And Jesus' response to this is contained in verse 31. And it is rather a surprising response. He says to them, Come aside by yourself to a deserted place and rest a while. For there were many comings and goings and they did not even have time to eat. So they've come together telling Jesus and each other what they've been done, what they've been up to. And his response says, yeah, you've been busy, busy, busy in your ministry. But now it's time to take a break and reflect. They've been so busy, in fact, that it tells us that they haven't even had time to eat. It's always good to take a time out and reflect and assess on how a period of time has gone. I've been looking at some medieval English literature recently and I recently read of what used to happen in a town called High Wycombe in the Middle Ages at the annual reappointing of the town mayor. You see, they had this extraordinary tradition then of weighing the town mayor at the anniversary of each year of their term of office to see if they'd put on any weight, in other words, to try and work out if they'd been living it up on the taxpayers' expenses. That weigh-in was done in public, and the town crier announced the weight of the mayor by shouting it out. And if they'd put too much weight on, well, sometimes they'd literally take him round the back and beat him up, but certainly throw him out of office. So it's a good thing to pause and reflect how are things doing, but I'm not suggesting we do it in that way. But these guys, the disciples, now the apostles, they have been incredibly busy with their ministry and now Jesus comes to them and says, it's time to take a break. What I want you to do, he says, is go and find a quiet place and rest and reflect. And the next verse tells us that's exactly what they do. It says they departed to a desert place in the boat by themselves. So the spiritual lesson for any of us who are in the ministry, in any way, I'm not just talking about ministers here, anyone who is called to be out there serving the Lord, it's very clear is that you should come aside after a period of time, take a break and reflect. To not ever take a break and reflect on what you're doing in the Christian life, then by nature must be wrong. So Jesus here reminds us that we are all to take time out from whatever ministry, whatever Christian life we're called in, and reflect. And we need to do that. Well, today we understand we need to do that because we might, in effect, burn out. So I'd like to suggest we all need a break. And we need to have a break so we can do a better job physically and spiritually. In fact, you could say, reasonably, Christians should take a break in order to be Christ-like. If the Son of God needed to set himself apart and rest, then we need to do so as well. So Jesus reminds us here to take time out from our ministry, whatever it is, and whatever it is we do as Christians and reflect, else we might suffer what's called burnout. And I would like to suggest we all need a break in order that we can do a better job in terms of our Christian life both physically and spiritually. Christians should take a break, in fact, in order to be Christ-like, because that's what he did. If the Son of God needed to set himself apart and rest, then we need to do so as well.
So lesson one, take time out. If you want to be Christ-like, then we need to take a break from time to time to prayer and reflect and then move forward. But just to spoil this a little, let me add the caveat that you only qualify to do lesson one, to take the break, if you've been active in doing what he reveals in what I'm calling lesson two and three. So what's the second lesson to learn from this passage? Well, let's pick it up at verse 33. But the multitudes, that's the crowds of people, they saw them departing, and many knew him, and ran there on foot from all the cities, and arrived before them, and came together to him. And Jesus, when he came out, saw a great multitude, and was moved with compassion for them, because they were like sheep not having a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. This is interesting, isn't it? Jesus and his disciples, they get in a boat and the crowd, they see them do this. They know who these guys are and the word spreads and they think they know where they're going and they don't have boats. So what they do is they run around the edge of the lake. Now, if the commentators and the experts I've read about this passage are correct, then the place where Jesus and his disciples left from and went over to is a journey of about four nautical miles by boat but it's nearly 10 miles going round by the shore, by land. Now, there's probably a few of you out there who might be runners who think, well, 10 miles, I could probably do that in under 90 minutes. Apart from you guys, it would probably take most of us at least three hours to do that journey. So the people, they're following over land for 10 miles, and it tells us that when Jesus got there, that he was moved with compassion because they were like sheep without a shepherd is how it describes and his response then is in fact to teach them now previously on occasions where jesus came to a place and he looked out upon a crowd what he saw was their physical needs and he healed the people but on this occasion he's going to focus on their spiritual needs and the response to that need is to teach them It says he sees them as a sheep without a shepherd. And that's a vivid picture, isn't it, of people in spiritual need. That's what people are like who don't have the spiritual direction in their life. They are like sheep without a shepherd. And what do sheep without a shepherd need? What does the shepherd provide? Well, they're in need of protection, aren't they? They're also in need of regular nourishment and they need guidance. You know, I worked on a farm as a young man during my summer holidays and I can assure you that sheep without a shepherd pretty much cannot find their way anywhere, even straightforwardly from A to B. And Jesus here, by using this as a spiritual picture, is reminding us of how we all need his direction and we all need his guidance. Sheep without a shepherd... They can't find pasture, they can't find nourishment, they can't even find the direction to get to that place of pasture and nourishment. And of course, all of us, we need spiritual nourishment in order to grow spiritually strong. We need the strength for the journey as well in order to reach that destination. And the Lord here is painting a picture of how he meets our needs and he will do that by teaching us. And by doing that, that will enable us to do both of these things. But also it's worth bearing in mind that sheep without a shepherd have no defence against dangers that might threaten them. So Jesus here is looking out at the crowd and he sees their spiritual need, their need for direction, their need for protection, their need for daily encouragement and nourishment. And he says that he saw those needs and it actually says he's moved with compassion. 
So I wonder if any of us have ever seen somebody and they appear to us to be a bit of a lost soul. How should we respond to that situation? What should motivate us to respond in the way we respond? Well, Jesus was motivated out of compassion. And his compassion led him to do something. And for those who were spiritually lost, it led him to teach. And I would like to suggest that that is the second important message. The second spiritual truth of this passage is that Jesus taught them. The first is that we should take time out to pray and reflect. And the second is that lost sheep, above all things, need to be taught. They need to be shown the way, given the path, given direction. And what that tells me, if you know the Lord, if you simply have come to the point that you have accepted Christ as your saviour and put him in the driving seat, so to speak, say he is the one, I am no longer the one that leads my life, then you already, even at that first step, know enough to help a whole lot of people in a whole lot of ways, those people who don't know the Lord yet. Much of what we as Christians teach other people It's more than just common sense. Even the most basic Christian believer knows more about spiritual things than someone who hasn't taken that step and made that choice of making Jesus Lord of their life. In fact, in the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul, writing in chapter 15 to the Christian community there, says, I've been completely satisfied with who you are and what you are doing. You seem to be well motivated and well instructed and are all quite capable of guiding and advising one another. I know it's probably a controversial thing to say for some people, but I would submit to you that by accepting Christ, As Lord in your life, you immediately become competent to help other people, other people who know nothing of him, any lost sheep that you might come across. But it's important that you're motivated to do that and that your primary motivation should be one of compassion, not to lord over them like you know everything better than them, but move by compassion to help them. So that's two great lessons we've learned so far. We need to, first of all, in whatever we're involved in, we need to take a break. But in order to take a break, we need to be doing something. In other words, we need to be ministering to other people. And one of the ways we do that is to teach them, using the metaphor here Jesus uses of teaching the sheep. Teaching others what the Word of God advises us to do and how it advises us to respond in any given situation. That ultimately is what teaching the lost sheep is all about. But there's a third lesson in this passage, and let's pick it up and see what it is at verse 35 and 36, which says, When the day was now far spent, his disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place, and already the hour is late. Send them away, that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. Translated into modern lingo, the disciples said to the Lord, Look, everyone needs a break here. Let the crowd go off and get themselves something to eat. Now Jesus' response here is quite startling. He answers them in verse 37 and says to them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, But how can we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread to give them something to eat? You see, he says to them, You feed them. You give them something to eat. Why would he say that? Is he just testing them again? He effectively says, you feed them. And their response is, what? Should we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread? The figure of 200 denarii is a lot of money. Some of the commentators I read said it's 
approximately the figure of about a year's wage, which seems a reasonable amount to feed such a large crowd of people. In other words, their response to his request is, we haven't got the money to do that. We're told that there are about 5,000 men plus women and children here in the narrative. So it's not surprisingly on a human level they say we can't afford to do this. But the text continues with Jesus replying and he says, But he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said, We have five loaves and two fishes. Then he commanded them to make all of them sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in ranks in hundreds and fifties, and taking the five loaves and the two fishes, looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the bread. Then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the fish among all that were there, and they all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up twelve basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of men who had eaten was five thousand. So Jesus here is seen to pray. He takes the little food that is there and he distributes the food. And he does it in that order. And the miracle, it would seem, occurs between his hands and the distributing of it. It just keeps coming. The text, in fact, clarifies that this is 5,000 plus people being fed here and everybody is filled. He started with just five loaves and two fishes and he ends up with 12 baskets of crumbs at the end. Now, you can point out that that's one basket for each apostle. That's practically probably what it means. That's true. But the big point here is that even... In the end, he ended up with more than he started. He started with just five loaves and a couple of fish, and he ends up with 12 baskets of leftover. And this is an amazing spiritual picture of the Lord who will always abundantly supply the needs of his people, but also in drawing attention to the fact that there were 5,000 and there was this multiplication leftover. It's deliberately highlighting for us that this is meant to be a narrative of a miraculous event. It's also worth pointing out that the story is repeated in all four of the Gospel accounts, and several of those accounts end the story by suggesting that Jesus' whole purpose in performing this mission was to teach the apostles, and it says, to trust him. So Jesus here is seen as the shepherd who meets all the needs of the sheep, And at the same time, he uses this as an opportunity to teach the disciples primarily to trust in him. Okay, so what we've got here is we've pulled out three useful, three great lessons that we can learn from this passage. Number one, he tells us we need to take a break. I'm giving you permission to take a break from your life of ministry and service and to do that once in a while, but regularly, in order to reflect. But you know what? It's not just my permission. Jesus here is giving you permission to do this. And that's a whole lot more important than anything I would say. Secondly, the great lesson is that we are called to teach the sheep. We are called when we look upon the people who need spiritual guidance and leadership. We are called upon to counsel them and help them primarily by teaching them. By teaching them the word of God and how and what it says and how it should be applied at that particular point in their lives in a way that's relevant. And thirdly, it tells us we are to trust the Lord. Now, let me just reverse the order of those lessons for a moment and summarize them back to you, back to front, so to speak, because by doing this, I think we will notice something important. 
if we say, firstly, we need to trust the Lord and we love other people best by teaching other people important truths, then if you're so busy doing the first two things, then and only then do you qualify to take the break. So by trusting the Lord and teaching the people, then it is from those things that you are called to take a break and reflect occasionally. Because if you're so busy doing the first two things, it is only by doing those that you then qualify to take that break. But also, have you noticed how these three things, these three great lessons involve our relationship with the Lord, our relationship with each other and our relationship with ourselves? So these three spiritual lessons cover all aspects of our Christian life. So I want to close the message today by just emphasizing a couple of things. Firstly, let me remind you, if you're involved in any type of Christian ministry, a Christian expression and outworking of your faith amongst people, you need to, on occasion, set aside time and rest and reflect. And if you don't, there will be consequences. We ignore our need for rest and spiritual renewal at the peril of not just ourselves, but others as well. All of us, everyone, needs to take a break sometime. And we need to remember that the key motivation for us in our ministry, in any area, even that of teaching towards other people, should be compassion. It is compassion that should lead us to have a desire to teach any lost sheep that we come across. And finally, we need to trust, to trust the Lord in all we do. And then one final thing. There are some people, there are some of us, who never stop. We're too busy to stop, too busy to listen to God, and therefore, by nature, that means we're too busy to be blessed. Sometimes we really need to just stop in order to see what God wants us to do. So I'd like to close by telling you a true story, a true story that I think illustrates this point and how someone learnt this lesson and responded to it properly. I heard of a minister, I think he was based in Dallas, Texas, many years ago, and he he was a pastor of a church, and he told of how a sort of student minister, a student pastor, came their way. The young man had come from a successful sales background, and he came to speak at their church that week. I remember the story particular because the guy in the story, which unusually, he was an American obviously, but this young lad, the minister, he had, he actually owned a luxury British car called a Jaguar. So he pulled up in this Jaguar at this minister's church, and the minister noticed that there was a large dent in the door just under the passenger window. Now the dent was a little rusted, so he knew that it had been there for some time. So he asked the young trainee preacher why he had not got it repaired, maybe at the back of his mind wondering if the church could help him in that way. And he said no, uh, he hadn't got it repaired, and the reason why was because a couple of years ago, whilst he was working as a sales executive, he was travelling through a rough neighbourhood, and he was driving in his then new Jaguar. And he was driving along through a very busy area, built up area, with lots of kids running around and there were cars parked on either side of the road. So he slowed down as he came through this area, but he was sort of aware in his peripheral vision of some sort of commotion going on on the, uh, the right side of the car. And as the car passed a set of parked car, no child appeared, but a brick suddenly 
flew out and smashed into the door just below his passenger window. He slammed on the brakes and jumped out of the car and shouted at the kid who was standing nearby, What do you think you're doing? The young boy said, I'm, I'm sorry, mister. I didn't know what else to do. I threw the brake because I could get no one else to stop. He pointed to a spot between the car and there lay his brother. And he said his brother was having a fit. He fell out of his wheelchair between the two cars and banged his head and he was fitting and he couldn't lift him back into the chair and take him home to his mum to see if he was okay. I just wanted someone to stop and help me. Help me get him back in his wheelchair so I can get him home. Please help me. Well, our young man in the car was too shaken for words. He just stood for a minute. Then he did just that. He helped the boy who is coming round now, put him back in the wheelchair and they wheeled him together a hundred yards or so up the road. It turns out the lad had cerebral palsy but he was okay. He fitted first before he fell and in fact his mother just cleaned up his cuts and bruises and settled him at home for a while. He went back to his car and he noticed that the damage was there. But he made the decision, not only at that point, to leave his job as a sales rep and go in to the ministry but he also said he felt God said he should never bother to get it repaired for as long as he had the car. I left the dent there he said because it reminded me that I shouldn't be going through life so fast that God needs to throw a brick at me to get my attention. My prayer for all of us today is that we too take time out to reflect on the Lord, how we minister what way we minister to other people, what is our motivation for ministering to other people, lest God needs to throw a brick at us also in order to get us to stop and pay him some attention. Okay, that's it for today. Thank you so much for joining me. I do hope you find that a helpful and an encouragement. We're partway through season six of our journey together through the entire Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. The pattern is we go through alternative Old and New Testament books of the Bible. And over the next 10 years, Lord willing, we'll get through the whole canon of Scripture. We'll learn a lot together and God will radically change us together if we commit to do this. New episodes are posted Monday to Friday and you can subscribe to this podcast wherever it is you get your podcasts from. If you want to support this ministry, you can do it through places like Patreon or you can just share it on your social media or leave a positive review if you're finding it helpful so that other people might see it also. Please note that the podcast is hosted on the bibleproject.buzzsprout.com and although you can receive it on all the main platforms and there may be links there to the other parts of the ministry, there will always definitely be active links available on the Buzzsprout hosting website. There you'll find links to places like the social network, the LinkedIn page, the Facebook page, even the YouTube channel, which is long-term going to be the archive in playlist format. So with that all said, I'm so thrilled you've chosen to be with me today and I do hope I'll see you right here, back here tomorrow or whatever day that happens to be for you because you're free to do this at whatever pace suits you.
but it'll be great to have you back again tomorrow on the Bible Project Daily Podcast. Bye-bye for now.